you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Freelancer Show. On our panel today, we have Kai Davis. Hey, hey, hey. And me, I'm Ruben Lerner, and we are going to be talking about 2018, otherwise known as 2018, otherwise known as probably the year that just started more or less by the time you hear this podcast. And we were thinking, well, we should really plan for next year. And so should you. And by the way, if you're hearing this in a future year, you should plan for every year. I mean, what are your goals and what do you plan to do and how are you going to grow your business? I mean, you can just sort of let things happen to you, but it's probably a good idea to have, be in control and think about what what are your goals? What are your plans? How do you want to implement them? Because um, you can't do everything, much as I try. So, Kai, how do you want to talk about this? You want to, sort of, you want to talk about your stuff? You want to talk, me to talk about my stuff? Should we talk about what people do in general? Everything at the Let same me, time? Let's <laughs> do everything at the same time. Uh, we both love conversation. Uh, let's talk a bit about <laughs> how, sort of like the how, the why, not necessarily the what we're doing, but uh, uh, any systems or processes or procedures we use. Like, for example, at the start of 2017, or rather at the end of 2016, I spent a couple hours over a few weeks just thinking about, well, what are my goals for 2017? What do I want to be working towards? And since then, I've evolved my thinking a bit to move from a focus just on goals to a focus on systems as well as goals. It's one thing to say, well, hey, I want to lose 30 pounds. It's another to say, what type of systems do I need to put in my life so that A, I lose 30 pounds and B, I maintain it and have an overall healthier lifestyle. But end of 2016, I started thinking about, well, what do I want to accomplish in 2017? And I wrote down five goals, five objectives I wanted to move towards. I've been successful on three of them. I think I'm going to hit the fourth one by the end of the year. And the fifth one, in no way am I going to hit by the end of the year. But it was valuable for me to set those out as goals at the start of the year because it let me say, okay, this is what I'm playing towards. This is sort of the scorecard or the objective list. And okay, when a new project crosses my desk or a new opportunity shows up, does it connect to one of these goals? If it does, well, how effective will it be in helping me reach that goal? If it does not, it's an easier way to say no or an easier mental uh, uh, calculus for me to decide on saying no because I could say, well, hey, this doesn't connect with one of my goals. This is an exciting opportunity, but I'm really focused on these things right now. I have to pass on this other opportunity. And for me, it's always been a constant joy of learning how to say no to opportunities, but it's been useful to have a concrete list of goals saying, hey, this is what I'm aiming for in 2017. And then within each month, breaking it down and saying, okay, for this month, 
what goal do I want to focus on? What things do I want to achieve to move me towards that goal? How about for yourself? So I have occasionally thought about goals and things. I talk about them with a mastermind that I have on Fridays with a few other consultants from uh, Europe. And I think I've just been generally bad about being very specific about them. I mean, I sort of want to do, I mean, for, there, there was definitely the goal of sort of switching more into training and doing it on my own. I did that a few years ago and, and that's worked out really, really well. So sometimes sort of just setting as a goal means I am planning to do this and it will like, just by talking about it, you then sort of convince yourself, yes, this is something I want to do. And you think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm still bad, very bad about saying no to things. I probably should do that more. Like when things don't work, I should kill them off. And or when mm-hmm. people call me up and ask me to do things, I shouldn't say, well, yes, that could be interesting. I should say, no, that's just not what I do. Um, luckily, increasingly with the training stuff, that has sort of removed itself as an obstacle just because people sort of gravitate toward me because they want the Python training, they get training, the, the, the training and the stuff that they know that I do. So I have fewer needs to say no. Oh, but I find all these little things that I want to do. And I'm like, well, I'll try that also. I mean, I, uh-huh. I think... I think there are a few different things. So first of all, um, like one big goal that I've been working on for, I guess, about close to a year now, and I feel like I'm finally making some inroads into it, is more training in Europe and the U.S., just because it pays more and larger countries than Israel. Um, And so it's a long game. I see it's a long game. You've got to make the contacts, especially if you're not right there. You know, if I were living in Silicon Valley, then, or even any major American city, I would just sort of by nature of relationships have inroads and be able to talk to people and there'd be less reticence from local companies to call me up and invite me to do training. But because I'm elsewhere, there's a higher threshold, but I definitely think it's like important and and possible. And so I've, I've been working on all sorts of different things to sort of make myself known there, get myself in their faces so that they will, uh, they'll invite me or be available. Um, mm-hmm. But I've also been working a lot on sort of the the individual market, whether it's creating classes to teach to individuals, whether it's my books, um, my newsletter, um, whether it's my Mandarin Weekly newsletter, like all these different things. And for that, I think what you said about systems is very true. Uh, so, for example, it's been driving me bananas that I have this. And, you, you know, we spoke about this over the last few weeks. Like I have this newsletter of 20,000 people who all want to learn Chinese and no one has been like I haven't been able to monetize it until now. And every so often I think, okay, I should just shut this thing down. Like enough is enough. Um, and yet over Black Friday, I um, managed to make a few hundred dollars from people subscribing, meaning hey. there is a market, right? People will pay for it. They just need to be marketed to in the right way. And so mm-hmm. I thought a lot about, okay, well, what automated systems can I set up that will make this a no brainer? And so I actually had my first success on that today. Like I now have in the intro email message that goes out to people, it has a big call to action button, you know, those drip yellow call to action buttons. And it says, you know, upgrade. And it says elsewhere in that message, and if you want to upgrade for less and you're a student, email me. So I got an email from someone saying I'm a student. Um, hey. So so I think, like, I think this can work. And then I've automated mm-hmm. messages going out, like, after two weeks, after two months, after four months, after six months, saying, if you use this discount, you'll get, like, you can use the discount right away. So I think incorporating more stuff like that and automated marketing is both going to be good for my business and good for me to see the opportunities as more and more people subscribe to my lists and I have a, a larger uh, group. Yeah, so, completely so, agreed. Like, no, I, I mean, I just want to say, like, I, I sort of hope and envision that, like, maybe not a year, but two years from now, um, instead of training almost every day, mostly in Israel, sometimes Europe, China, and the U.S., 
it'll be like, you know, a week of training in Israel, a week of training in the US, Europe, and the other two weeks creating content and courses to put up online and sell to individuals. That's like where I'd like to be. Um, mm -hmm. And slowly but surely, I think, and moving there. But I, I think it's really important to point out to people that some of these changes just take a long time. And you, you got to be patient. And I'm sort of, I'm very lucky that I have the day-to-day -day, um, uh, training work that sort of gives me a financial um, like <laughs> backbone that I can stand up to these issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I completely, completely agree with that. What I found is having that source of revenue allows you to explore new business opportunities, new lines of business, new things you want to take to market for your existing business or a new business and be more confident in testing it and then killing it off if it doesn't work because you have that revenue stream. Circling back to your point about wanting to move towards a balance between the training work and developing products and selling them online, I think you're absolutely right. The training work you have now is going to be able to finance that. And it is a multi-year process. Uh, uh, one sort of personal revelation I had is if I think about the goals and the things I want to accomplish in life in just a one-year window, it sort of artificially shrinks what I think I'm able to accomplish. Uh, there's that famous saying, we overestimate what we could accomplish in a year, but underestimate what we could accomplish in five. And I found that to be very, very mm. true, just as I tried to shift my thinking to like, okay, yeah, these are the goals I want to achieve in 2018. But like, let me think through the next five years, where do I want to be when I'm 36 years old? Where do I want to be in 2023? Wow, I can't believe it'll be 2023 in five years. Uh, uh, but we I don't believe it'll only be 36 years old in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a youngin. But, but thinking about that five-year horizon, it's changed my perspective on how I set up these goals. Like saying, hey, I want to build a business like X or I want to get to X revenue target or work with X people. Well, thinking about it on a one-year horizon versus a five-year horizon, it just is a much different question. When you have five years, you not only have five repeated years of effort, but you also have the exponential growth you get from working on a thing year after year and getting increasing results from it rather than starting over year to year. So I'm trying to balance between, okay, what do I want to accomplish over the next five years? And what do I want to accomplish in the coming year to set me up for success on this five-year plan? And I could say that the book, uh, uh, The One Thing, has been very valuable and instrumental in helping me identify the goals in health and business and life and friendship and break it down and back it down to like, okay, that's a five-year view. What's the year view? What's the 12-week view? What's the today view look like? And have, again, that way to just say, okay, is this something I want to spend time on? Well, if it doesn't help me move towards one of my goals, is it something that I necessarily want to or need to be doing? Right, right. Yeah, every so often, I mean, I, I, I've heard, and I can't remember if it's Brendan or someone else who said like, you basically want to think everything you do or every day, what am I doing today to at least incrementally move me toward achieving my business goals? And uh -huh. I'm not going to say this happens to me all the time, but there have definitely been a few days in the last few months when I said, wait a second, like, is this really helping me? Or by contrast, I say, wow, I feel like, you know, I spent like two hours last night dealing with support from Drip and then Coach, who I'm using now for my store. And at first I thought, oh my God, what a pain, right? Like I had to spend all this time with support and connecting different things. And then I thought, but wait, this is like, this is seriously helping me achieve my business goals. And they helped me really well. And I was very happy with it. And now my business is a better place than it was before. So um, it might be frustrating. It's not always fun, but I, I, I you know, sort of moved, moved uh, I don't know, the pawns up the board as it were. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, small incremental progress like that. I completely agree. It might feel like, I, I, I think it comes down to a lot of the actual work that needs to happen to achieve goals, no matter what the goal is, it's it may be boring work. It's not the sexy fun part of it. It's the 90% of the iceberg that's underwater. And it's like, okay, I need to set up a new shopping cart and connect it with my email service provider. And it doesn't feel that exciting necessarily. But like you pointed out, it gives you those incremental steps towards that future you want, that vision you have, that goal you have. And so it might be like, oh, I spent four hours today working on drip. But okay, now I have these things automated, I'm able to talk with people, I'm able to sell more efficiently, and that all lines up with having X product revenue come in over the coming year. That's right. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for me, it's it's always come down to that challenge between, eh, not like the shininess of a new opportunity, but balancing continuing to work in the existing business with hey, this seems like an interesting, fun opportunity. Do I want to work on both at the same time? A lot of 2017 was spent straddling my time between different projects. And one of the big takeaways that I realized as I started doing a retrospective on 2017 was I made movement in each of the projects and each of the businesses I was working on and in, but it wasn't as much forward movement collectively as it has been in the past when I just have had a singular focus. And so as I wrap up 2017, I'm saying, okay, Out of the different projects and out of the different things I'm working on, what's the top priority? What gets me closest to my goals? What do I want to say no to? And that's resulted in me shutting down a number of lines of business and a number of different things that I've been doing on the side because, well, it's honestly a distraction at points. It's not moving me towards that ultimate destination. Yeah, my friend uh, Ari, who uh, Ari Lamstein, who was on the podcast, I think about two months ago. So he's been openly skeptical. He he and I uh, meet about once a month. Um, and it's just like general chatting and he was openly skeptical of some of my plans of oh, I should do X and Y and Z and oh, by the way, and A and B and C and all these little projects. And it's very easy. I don't want to say that I get distracted. I get excited about too many things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, he's been like a good sort of reality check, um, often just after the fact. So, for example, I, I said I am super enthusiastic about doing, uh, you know, group coaching for trainers. I saw group coaching has been working well. I mean, it's working well for Jonathan. It's working well for Philip. So I said, baby, I can do that, right? People are asking me for help in training, and I did it for a month, and three people participated, and then they all left. And I'm not saying they were like, I'm not, I'm not upset with them. I totally understand they had their own reasons, but basically, I saw that getting new people to join this is just going to be a lot of work. And you know mm-hmm. what? I don't have the time. I'm not interested in it. It's not going to be that much money. Um, if you want to come to me for individual training uh, or like like coaching, then I'm happy to do that. I do that you know, here and there on an hourly basis. But to start sort of taking from my budget of time and allocating it to marketing something that really doesn't have a big ROI. And that was painful, right? It's painful to say, here's this thing that I love doing that I think could really bring value to people. And yet, um, I'm going to stop it because I, I want to concentrate on other stuff. And quite frankly, if in another six months, Mandarin Weekly doesn't start bringing in some more serious revenue, um, despite all my sort of attempts, I think it'll be painful, but I'm going to have to shut it down because it might only take two or three hours a week of my time. Uh, but you know, there's a limit as to how much I'm willing to pay for drip and pay for servers and pay with my time and be stressed every Sunday night and so forth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. Uh, one thing you said there, I think bears diving into a lot of what you said there bears diving into, but one point I'd love to is the concept of that budget. Like you're absolutely right. We only have so much time in a week, in a day, in a year. 
And a lot of that is already spoken for. A lot of that is, you know, it's, you're going to spend a 30-year day sleeping. You're going to hang out with friends. You, you're going to work on projects. You only have so much time to work on side things or new lines of business. And so I think a lot of attention should be paid to, especially at the start of the process, okay, how much time is this realistically going to take me to start, to maintain, to ship? Uh, how much revenue is this going to make for me? How much impact will this have? And does that fall above or below sort of an invisible threshold line? Is it a cool opportunity and sounds fun, but there's no way I could get this to where it needs to be? In that case, you probably want to say no to it. Is it like, oh, this passes these checks. Okay, let me move it into my business. This seems like a good opportunity. But just thinking about, I only have so many hours in a week. Where am I spending them already? How much can I actually afford to spend on a new project? I think it's a question that I know I haven't asked myself often enough in the past. And that when I've started asking it, it's been incredibly valuable. Just saying like, okay, let me break down. How many hours a week do I think this is going to take? And honestly give an estimate of it. My trick is I then double that estimate because I know there's going to be things that I do not yet know of. And it lets me say, okay, this seems like a good opportunity. It's going to take me 10 hours a week. A, do I have 10 hours a week? B, what's the value of those 10 hours in terms of money I could make from consulting or coaching or product sales or the value to me in being able to say, hey, I have an extra 10 hours this week. I'm going to go for a walk in the park. I'm going to go hike a new mountain today. There's a lot of value there. And so thinking about your time in terms of that budget and where you're allocating it and where you're spending that time and attention is so, so valuable. I think at any point in the year, but especially as you start to think about, well, what do I want to continue doing into the new year and what new things do I want to focus on in the new year? So I, I want to address that on a very like personal level also, um, which is um, I have been very, I mean, I'm very bad at estimating time. Fine. I've gotten better at it, but you know, still a long way to go. Um, and part of that is because I haven't really felt a huge incentive to estimate well, because what I've been doing for years, so I'm now, right, I'm 47, um, since I was in college, right? So I went to MIT and the basic assumption there is you get a lot, a lot of things done because you don't sleep. So for four years, you don't sleep and you get a ton done and that becomes your sort of MO for life, right? Like mm -hmm. you can get a lot done if you just don't sleep. This is very bad practice and I recognize it. I recognize it's bad for my health. It's bad for my relationship with my family. It's bad, like bad for everything. And yet it's something I've been doing for years and I've seen sleep as so fungible. Like, well, I, I could sleep eight hours a night, but that's ridiculous, right? I have so many other things to do and they're fun and they're interesting and they're exciting. Um, and in the last, I don't know, six months or so, I've begun to realize, like, and then sort of being aware of the problem is a good first step. It's not sufficient, but at least it's, it's a good first step. But I, I've got to start not only spending more time with family. Um, I mean, by the way, I don't abandon my family, folks. But, like, just as a general rule, um, working from home has the um, downside of making work seem attractive more than it might otherwise be. But mm -hmm. i got I to sleep more. i got to sleep more. I've got to take care of myself more. And um, I'm realizing this means, uh, you know, my family, my sleep, my my health get a veto in all that decision making of what do I do, um, you know, because because many of the people like the listeners of our podcast, I'm guessing, are smart, accomplished people, or could be smart, accomplished, maybe smart, could be accomplished people. But one of the factors is you need to be able to spend time on things to get good at them, and probably many of us could be amazing doctors, lawyers, engineers, scientists, and all. And all except that we need an incredible amount of time to do any one of those well. And so you got to focus, mm -hmm. you got to specialize, you got to focus. And anyway, my, my, my point is, um, 
in your budgeting of time, don't say, eh, so I'll just sleep, you know, X number of hours a night, where X is two or three or four. Um, it's bad. And it's definitely something like if I have a big goal sort of on a personal front for this coming year, it's that I should sleep more like a, like a normal person. I think that's wonderful. I love your point about uh, uh, health, sleep, wellness, having a veto over the projects you work on. And I think you're absolutely right. It's it's too easy to develop the habit of pulling from sleep or pulling from time you spend working out or on personal health or on diet or fitness and not seeing the repercussions or the cost of that early on, but only seeing it when you hit burnout. I think back, uh, gosh, eight or so years ago for me, I was working a day job. I was freelancing on the side. I was working on a number of projects. Uh, and I was probably sleeping four and a half hours a night. And I was fine. I was fine. I was fine until I was not. And one day, I think I went to bed at 1 a.m., woke up at 5 a.m., did a thing in the morning, went to my day job, came home, did a thing, recorded a podcast, helped a friend with their thing. And I had like three more things at 10 p.m. that night I wanted to get done. And I just feel this like, hot flash pass across my body. And I'm like, I do not feel well. And oh it was the start of like this terrible burnout episode that took me probably six months to recover from. Health just did not do well from that. And again, like day to day, if anybody asked me, I would have said, hey, I'm doing fine. I'm getting all the stuff done. I feel great. But it was only when it all caught up to me, that sleep debt, that energy, the lack of care and time and attention I was paying for myself that I saw what actually was happening. I was burning the candle at both ends and it had a huge negative effect on my health. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, ha I haven't felt it yet and you could argue, well, I've been doing this for 20 years, um, so maybe I can keep going, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's hard, right? Like I've tried to sort of set hard limits for myself and say, okay, I know, I know this is gonna sound totally insane to listeners, but like uh, when it hits 1230 or 1 a.m., I should just like say, okay, I don't care what else I have to do, I have to go to sleep. Um, but it's so tempting, right? There are more things to do, and I'm so incredibly behind on email. Um, my accountant gets so upset with me, like I'm just so bad at getting back to them. But um, but really, at a certain point, I just need to say, okay, this is the hard limit, and I'll go to sleep. And mm -hmm. if that means not getting some work done, I have to budget that in to both my business and my personal life, right? Mm -hmm. You shouldn't run a business on the assumption. And again, I'm like the poster child for doing this. So do what I say, not what I do. But you should not run a business on the assumption that you'll be working 12 hours a day, six days a week, right? That, that, that doesn't mean you have a successful business. It means you're an excellent robot. <laughs> no, Never let my family right. hear me say this because they will use this against me, by the way. <laughs> we'll edit it all out. <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. You need to have, not you, you, but listener, you, Having these hard stops in place, having an idea of when you say, okay, I'm going to stop and move on to another thing is incredibly valuable. And it's something I was not even practicing until about two years ago. Uh, uh, man, and I connect so deeply with what you said about having that home office just makes it sort of easier to work or easier to continue working. That's something I struggle with day in and day out, especially since it's it's a 20-foot walk from you know, the living room where I'm watching a thing to the computer to work on the thing or check the draft or work on the SAM car. And like, I enjoy so many of these business building activities, but is it necessarily healthy at 10 PM for me to say, oh, let me log into Drip and set up this workflow, or let me start sketching out a new service offering. I'm not feeling fresh. I'm tired. Is that what my body really needs? Or does my body need like, oh, let's watch an episode of Bob's Burgers, or let's go for a walk, or let's, you know, get a drink with a friend or hang out. Like understanding 
we only have so much time understanding where those hard limits are and understanding, in my case, this has been particularly particularly hard, what to do instead of working so I don't fall into a continual habit of working or making work up or stretching a task out has been one of the hardest challenges for me. And it's been only through a lot of intentional work at it and a lot of work at it over the past year that I've been able to say, okay, I need to put these limits in place to be able to enjoy the work I do and the life I have. And if that suddenly makes a time vacuum, okay, I'm stopping work at 6 p.m. What am I supposed to do from 6 to 10? Well, now I have a fun exercise of identifying what exactly I should be spending time on other than the work stuff. Right. But I'm in, right. I am in no way perfect or even close to good at that. It is a continual practice and progress for me. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc., VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. Right. I definitely, I found myself telling my, my son recently that, uh, you know, conversation is not something you do while you are on your phone, right? Conversation mm-hmm. is something you can do. It's an activity in and of itself. It's not, a, oh, well, you know, while I'm waiting for the this web page to load, I'll talk to you about the web page I last looked at. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and so there's definitely a, like, it's, it's worth spending time with family, with friends, conversing, not just online. Um, and I'll, I'll mention all that, like, I have, I have some of these issues as well, in part because, um, uh, in part because, like, you know, so if I want to watch movies, I often watch them on the computer. Well, where's my computer? Mm-hmm. It's in my home office. So, you know, I'll watch TV and I'll, I mean, I, I sort of do everything at my computer, at my desk, which is not good in oh so many ways. At least, at least yeah. I get out. Like, at least I, I'm several days a week, typically uh, at different companies. So I can, uh, you know, get out, ride trains, walk to their offices, see the big wide world, discover it still exists. Oh, that's great. No, no, I have that exact problem where, like, uh, one of the things I've discovered I enjoy doing as a non-work thing is playing Hearthstone, Blizzard's a uh, collectible card game. And it's fun. It's a nice, like, relaxing thing for me to do. I enjoy. I used to play Magic for over a decade, so it's fun to play another card game again. But it's that exact same problem. Oh, I want to play it on my nice iMac where I do my work. Well, that's in my office, on my desk, with all my notes from the day, OmniFocus sitting right there, my inbox sitting right there. And suddenly I find myself splitting my attention between like, I'm kind of playing a game and kind of working on a project, but there's no real forward movement on either one because it's a kind of working on both of them. And it just doesn't end up being uh, uh, the outcome I'm looking for either on the entertainment and relaxation side or on the work on a project side. One thing I did when I upgraded my computer and I'm trying to get better at, it all comes down to, I think, practicing the habits and acknowledging that we're not perfect and it's continual improvement. But when I upgraded from a laptop to this iMac, I kept my old laptop and I'm trying to get into the habit of saying, well, that's my entertainment machine. So if I want to watch a movie, if I want to play a game, I need to be sitting on the couch with that laptop. I shouldn't be on the iMac. I shouldn't be in the office right now. 
business is done for the day, I want to focus on other things and be more intentional with where I'm putting my body and where I'm focusing my attention since it's so, so easy to get sucked into a work project or get sucked into a work activity unintentionally or unwillingly or split your attention between the two. That's right. So let's say, you know, uh, our, uh, our freelancers, our, our, our listeners. So, so these are basically, you know, sort of some of our goals for this company. Do you have any other goals for this? Year? I just sort of want to sort of think maybe we can talk more generally, like what, how can people come up with plans if they don't, or if they're starting, but like, what, so what are, what are your plans for this coming year? I mean, I know you've talk, sort of talked to big in big terms. Do you have any specific things you're planning to do work on? Yeah, specifically, uh, I want to hit 220 pounds. It was a goal for this year. It's the one goal I'm not going to hit this year. And it's because I didn't have like the systems or the lifestyle in place and had a lot of stress from different things and it it just fell apart around me. And so I'm very intentional around that as a goal. Uh, continuing to grow my work with freelancers and consultants, uh, uh, helping them get more clients, selling more products. That's another goal. It really comes down to a focus on business, a focus on health, and a focus on community for me. Like those are the three overarching themes. And so it's thinking about, for me at least, what are the pains or the problems or the things that I'd want to change about this year? I often think about it in terms of pluses, this went well, and deltas. This is something I want to change. And so when I think about it, I'm like, well, my health isn't exactly where I want to be. That's something that I want to change. What systems do I want to put in place to help me achieve that? And so it really comes down to, hey, there are things in my business I want to improve. Hey, there are things about my personal health I want to improve. Hey, there are things about the community I interact with in my day-to-day life I want to improve. Those become the goals and the focus for me for the coming year. How about for yourself? So, yeah, so, well, um, in addition to, well, it's, yeah, so on different fronts. So first of all, sort of just keep keep doing the training, keep that coming in. But um, I'm planning to speak, certainly attend and even speak at a bunch of different conferences this coming year. Um, first of all, I sort of miss being out and about and talking to people. But secondly, I feel like that is going to be a great way for me to get my name out and for people to come and invite me to train. Um, so I've been, I mean, I'm planning to go to the Python conference uh, at the beginning of May in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and I'm talking to O'Reilly about going to some of their conferences and maybe doing some training and or speaking there. So that, that would be fun. Um, so, so like I'm, I'm hoping that some of that will lead to work, but even in and of itself, it'll just be sort of good and nice and interesting. I also, I can't make it to microconf in the spring, but I'm planning to sort of keep my schedule open until they announce the dates for microconf Europe. Cause I definitely wanted to go there and enjoy it. And it's in Lisbon, which I loved when we went on a family vacation. Um, on the products front, I mean, I just did a survey of my list, I guess about two weeks ago and overwhelmingly people said, we want to have recorded courses. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be setting aside some time. And they told me, like I asked them what subjects. And so I have a list of 20 subjects in descending order of what I should go and record and make courses for. So I'm going to try to allocate some time and start recording those. Um, and like really just get more and more content up online for people to buy. Um, and then on the Mandarin weekly front, Make it somehow profitable. Uh, my Black Friday sale proved that it's possible. Now it's just a matter mm-hmm. of like a little smarter marketing. And um, I, I continue to be convinced that it's got promise there. And it would, it's just really annoying me that I haven't managed to make that happen. So mm-hmm. I think that's – and then on the personal front also, I want to lose some weight and, um, and just like sort of build it into my schedule. For a while, <laughs> when my son was in preschool, I would push him in the stroller for about 45 minutes to the preschool, and then uh, I would uh, walk to the train station from there. And it was fantastic. And um, 
we, we finally stopped because he complained that he would arrive at preschool tired because I've been pushing him in the stroller for so long. The gall, like I was pushing him <laughs> and he, he was tired. But, um, and that was great. Also when I was at, you know, at Northwestern in Chicago, so I'd walk an hour in each direction to and from school. So I just need to sort of build these things, as you say, systems into my schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of new and different things. The, the good news is, um, that sort of, again, the training provides me with the stability that I need on an ongoing basis. Um, that even if like one of my clients were to fold, I have enough other clients with that. I can more or less keep my schedule full, which is a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's wonderful. I think that's a position of strength. Like that gives you that ability to take more risks or work on, uh, uh, additional income streams, knowing that you have the clients coming in and you have existing clients plus future clients. Right. Right. And I think part of that just comes from time, right? So, so now, uh, you know, enough people sort of know what I do that the odds are good in a given month that someone who used to work at a company where they had heard about me is now working at a new company. And the boss says, Hey, we need someone to do Python training. The guys like, Oh yeah, we know this guy. Um, and, and if you do the same thing, you know, I hear specialization, right? If you do the same thing, you're known for one thing, then when that thing comes up, people are going to remember you. Yep. Yep. No, entirely. I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's a large part of what I've seen as success as a freelancer from my own experience has been putting in the time until you just become recognized as one of the options. A lot of it is building relationships. A lot of it is promotional. A lot of it is, like you said, you're going to these conferences. You're going to be doing more speaking. You want more people to be aware of you. You want to have more content out there. All of that increases this surface area of discoverability. People are able to find you, learn about you, discover that you offer these types of solutions and say, oh, hey, we want to work with you. What's that next step? Uh, Yeah, I think that so much of being a successful freelancer or consultant comes down to understanding how you could get in front of those people, the right people for your business, understanding who the right people are for your business and where they hang out, and then just bridging the two. If they go to conferences, show up at the conferences. If they listen to podcasts, guest on a ton of podcasts. If they read articles, write a ton of articles and just become sort of overwhelming in your presence. So you are recognized as an option and it takes time. There's no overnight quick solution to it. It's just repeated application of doing a thing again and again and again, even when it feels like the boring work or the eh work and putting in the time to develop that name, develop that reputation, develop that awareness that you help people solve this type of problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Man, what you said about uh, uh, the walking reminds me so much of when I lived in Hawaii. I lost like 30 pounds when I lived in Hawaii for six months because I'd wake up, it was 75 degrees, and I was like, I'm going to go on a three-mile walk. And I'd go on a three-mile <laughs> walk, sit down on my favorite bench, read Instapaper for 30 minutes, walk back, and it was wonderful. And the pounds fell off. I'm in Oregon right now. It's like 34 degrees and raining right now. It's not as enjoyable to wake up and go on a walk outside. So much of an, the environment we surround ourselves with influences, I think, our health, our mental well-being, how we're feeling as people. And yeah, recognizing that and for me at least saying, oh, what parts of my environment am I unhappy with? What do I want to change about it? Those two questions together have often been some of the most valuable questions I can ask because it reveals to me what I'm not enjoying about my current lifestyle or the current year and what I want to change moving forward. 
And those become either goals or systems. Oh, I'm not happy with this part of my lifestyle. Well, what system, what repetitive habit do I want to put in place to achieve that? Hey, I want to set a goal of walking three times a week. Okay, that's going to be one of the systems in my life to help me achieve this goal of weighing less or being in this physical state. We could apply, I think, that same idea to freelancing or business overall. Hey, I want to get more clients. Well, call five people a day for the next three months and you're going to get more clients. It's going to be hard. It's going to take time, but you're going to make connections with people who will then turn into clients or refer you to clients. Any goal we have or any part of our business where we say, oh, I wish this was a little better. I think putting that repetitive habit or that system in place, contact three people today, uh, speak at one conference a month, be on one podcast a week. Those systems, those repetitive habits move us towards our goal. Yes. Yes. And it, it seems mundane and boring and annoying, right? Like, but, but that's the way it works, right? If you set these that's systems up, then you can adjust the system, right? That now, now, again, I'm much better at saying this than actually doing it. Um, and I think if you look at truly successful people, that's what they do. They have these systems in place and they can tweak them. So start, start somewhere. You know, I kept hearing for years, you should have a mailing list. And I was like, yeah, you know, maybe. And so I started a mailing list and it is laughable how bad I was at it. Um, and then I finally got enough sort of ideas and insights and, and, uh, sort of, uh, um, advice from people. I started doing it and I just sent out, I mean, it's not exactly every week, right? I send out something every Monday, except for the Mondays when I don't, but it's an evergreen thing. So if someone joins today, they get 52 weeks worth of things. So I literally put in last week, the 52nd message. And an hour after people get that, they then get an automatic message saying, Hey, this is 52 messages. You've been subscribed for a year. Thanks so much. Tell me who you are. And I got two messages today for people saying, Ooh. I've been subscribing for a year. What an amazing feeling. And and someone even gave me like what I think is a fantastic uh, testimonial for my book. So I can email them back and ask to use that. So like good emotions, good feelings, good for business. And I just needed to start and ignore the fact that I hadn't started earlier and there's nothing I could do about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a, I think it's a John Cage quote. It's in my list of personal directives. Start anywhere. And that's been so valuable for me when it comes to business overall and life overall. It's so easy for me personally to get held back by the thought that I don't yet know enough to start with this. But what I've discovered the hard way is start anywhere and you will learn the bits that you need to. You'll get better at the parts you need to and you'll start to see success and start to see results. In a sense, getting started is more important than knowing the completely perfect way to do the thing because once you get started, you'll learn so much that you don't know or it's the unknown unknowns again. You start discovering the unknown unknowns. Now you could search out the answers. But until you actually start working on the thing, you have no clue of what questions to anticipate. So for me, it's always been this hesitation around getting started. But when I flip around to, okay, I'm just going to get started and see what I learn, see what I don't know, see what mistakes I run into, I've noticed so much more success because it's easier for me to ship things, to get started, to launch new lines of business. Because I guess part of it is less fear and part of it is less hesitation. I guess it's more of an abundance mindset. I will figure out the things I need to know as I launch this or as I move forward with it rather than a scarcity mindset. I need to know everything before I get started or else it'll be a failure. Right, right. And I mean, the other thing is I still remember all sorts of ridiculous things I did with my mailing list, like like stupid things I said and sent out and the ways I sent it out. No one remembers it except for me. Like, they don't care. Mm -hmm. Think of how much email you get a day. Do you really remember, like, someone's mailing list? And Do you remember what day of the week it even arrives? Probably not. Um, 
So just just like get started and you'll make mistakes and you'll adjust. You'll pivot, as the kids say nowadays. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, uh, so for our listeners, I, I have a couple ideas, but I'm curious what you would say. For our listeners who are listening to this start of 2018, what would you suggest to them based on your personal experience to plan out the coming year or just identify a couple things that they want to achieve in the coming year? So, look, I, I guess... It's very easy, as, as I demonstrate through personal example, to get distracted and move in lots of different directions at once. And that's a good way not to move ahead, as I think like you said also. So I, I think it's good to what like what is your biggest ROI? Like where are you going to get the biggest bang for your buck? And this is especially true, but not only true, I think, if you're part-time freelancing, right? If you're doing some moonlighting and you're trying to like move into freelancing. So what is the one thing you can do? that will advance you in terms of getting your name out, bringing in some money, um, getting your name in front of clients. Is it speaking at a conference? Is it writing something? Is it setting up a mailing list? Is it you know working part-time at your full-time job and then trying to get gigs for the one or two days a week when you're not the full-time job? Try to identify some way for you to sort of get advanced more, be a, a more successful consultant. And that does not mean necessarily quitting your job and starting you know, whole hog. Mm-hmm. Um, and identify that and then say, okay, well, what are the steps for me to get from here to there? Okay, mm-hmm. if I want to, you know, get some evening gigs or weekend gigs, you know, moonlighting. So what are the right kinds of clients? And, and there's an almost infinite depth to the questions you can ask. But once you identify what sort of work you want to do and who you want to do, uh, do it for, then start working your connections and talking to people. And I think you'll be surprised by how quickly you can find someone who knows someone who's interested in it. No, I completely, completely agree with that. I think your point about, I, I think you referenced like the 80-20 on it is absolutely correct that there there often is so much work that we do and it's only a fraction of it that actually will produce the revenue or attract the clients or it's only a fraction of our clients that produce the majority of our revenue. And so just looking at that and saying, okay, if I apply an 80-20 on my clients, what stands out to me? Oh, these three clients were... of my billing for the last year. How do I get more clients like those? How do I get more projects from these most valuable clients? It's such a valuable exercise. Uh, I'm reading 80-20 Sales and Marketing by, I think it's Perry Marshall. Yeah, Perry Marshall. And it's completely focused on the 80-20 principle. It's been completely eye-opening for me. Uh, uh, And I think it applies in so many different areas of life when it comes to business or client relationships or getting started as a freelancer, just looking at and honestly asking yourself, okay, I have 10 things I could work on, launch a new site, do an outreach campaign, do podcasts, email 10 people and say, hey, I'm doing a thing, sitting down and honestly analyzing it and saying like, okay, out of these, what's the 20% that's going to produce the majority of results? It gives you such clarity. And it might be you do that exercise and you say, oh, wow, I'll probably get more clients if I email 20 people and tell them, oh, hey, I'm available starting in a month for a freelance project than if I spend that same amount of time setting up a new website. Who's necessarily going to see that site until we actually contact the people? So just thinking about it that way, thinking about the minimum you could put in or the smaller area you could focus on to produce those results, it's worked very well for me as I've grown my business and I highly recommend it when it comes to personal or business planning just to say, hey, these are the areas I should focus on. These are the most valuable activities. These are the activities I should not focus on for the time being. Right. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
Should we move into uh, picks? For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Yeah, let's do some picks. This is a, a an esoteric pick, but um, I think a fun one. So I, I live here in Israel in a city called Modim, halfway between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Um, and of course, uh, one of the classic national foods of Israel is falafel. You can get it basically any city, anywhere, certainly bus stops and other places. And we and, and when we first came back from Chicago, um, my accountant said, well, of course, you know about Ofer falafel. I was like, huh? <laughs> he said, what? You don't know about Ofer falafel. How can that possibly be? So I went there. Now, this this guy could and should be teaching business courses, right? It is true. Ofer falafel has some of the best falafel I've ever had. And they just opened up a new branch, a five-minute walk from my house, which, speaking of health and weight, maybe not the best <laughs> thing, but um, I'm teaching from home tomorrow. And I'm definitely planning to head over there and you know, double check that the local branches as good as the original one. <laughs> in any event, they are such a great case study in how to have a successful business. And I think of this every time I'm there. So first of all, they do one thing. They do falafel. Um, and like other places, they'll do falafel and they'll do like meat sandwiches and they'll do this and they'll do that. No, no, no. It just does falafel. And most places will do it in like regular pita or in like a really large size one called lafa. No, they only have the pita. And so – they do one thing and one thing only. They do it really, really well. And so they can, of course, improve and specialize and so forth. Number two, their service is extraordinary, just extraordinary. You go there and they're smiley. They're happy. They're happy to help you. They will not take out their problems on you whatsoever. There'll be a line out the door at almost all hours. And yet they will be smiling and helpful. And if you get to the line and you say, oh, I don't have money on me, they say, that's okay. You'll pay next time. Oh, and wow. they know that you will remember that they said this and you will come back next time and you'll be happy to pay. Um, my kids say that there's a sign in the back reminding the employees of how to treat people and always smile and always help them and always this, like, like, and basically treat them well. And it comes through people lo- not only love the product, but they love the, the service and they love the atmosphere. And it is always when I go there refreshing to see such a a business run in such a good way that's good for everyone involved, the the, the workers, the the customers. And um, so so if you're ever in Modi'in, you should try Ofer Falafel. And if you come to Israel, you can come to me in Modi'in. I'm two stops away from the uh, airport on the train, and I'll be happy to take you there. And you can see what an amazing business it is. No, I think that's wonderful. Uh, uh, I mean, such a great lesson in terms of focus, doing one thing, removing options. There's no longer a choice between like, oh, do you want an A or B? Do you want the pita or uh, I'm forgetting the name of the larger type of pita? Uh, the lafa, yes. <laughs> the lafa. It's it's clear. Customers know what they're getting. Customers can 
have delight in a simple experience and employees are able to focus on making sure the customers have that delight and have that joy. That's great. It's great. It's great. What do you, what do you got, guy? I got uh, uh, three picks. Uh, they're all books. I've referenced them before, but I've been rereading them just as I prepare for 2018. Uh, the first on the list is The One Thing, uh, an excellent book just talking about the importance of having a goal, a singular vision or a goal that you're working on. It might be in the long term, it might be in the medium term, it might be in the short term for your health, for your business, for your life. Uh, very, very good book. Highly recommended. Uh, the 12-week year I think of as being almost a companion book to the one thing. Once you figured out like what your one thing is, 12 week year is a great book that helps you break down this goal. Hey, I want to, let's say, earn a million dollars a year within 10 years. Okay, well, what does that look like on a five-year time frame, on a one-year time frame, on a 12-week time frame? What should I be doing today to move towards that goal? 12-week year helps you understand the practice and the principles going into breaking down a larger goal into, well, I'm focusing on this aspect of the goal or this part of the goal in this three-month period or today and start moving towards that objective. The third book, and again, I think of these as a companion set, would be Deep Work, talking about the importance of blocking out time to have focused, structured, deep work on your projects, on what you want to accomplish. One thing I discovered about myself is when I was in my early 20s, I thought I was excellent at multitasking. Now that I'm in my early 30s, I realize I am terrible at multitasking. I've just <laughs> been telling myself a 10-year lie. I get so much more accomplished in two hours if I'm just focused and quit the Slack, quit the instant messaging, put the phone in another room and just focus on the work compared to when I'm jumping between browser tabs and Slack over here and Skype over here and an instant messaging program over here. Deep work is so essential to creating the type of work, creating the type of outputs you want in life, especially if you have a small amount of time. So the three books, again, that I'd recommend, The 12-Week Year, The One Thing, and Deep Work. Together, they've helped me understand what my goals and visions are, how to break it down into yearly goals, monthly goals, daily goals, or daily uh, steps to take, and how to effectively work in a time period I blocked off. I might only have two hours today to work towards my goal. Okay, let's make sure I'm doing deep work if I have the energy for it. Block off the time, have it on my calendar, get rid of any interruptions, and focus on working towards that goal. Very nice, very nice. I'll have to take a look at these books. I, I haven't read any of them, so now you're giving me something to do while I read in bed before I actually go to sleep. Ha! It all ties together. <laughs> Kai? Thank you so much for an amazing conversation, as usual. Thank oh, you thank to all you, our listeners. Friend. And uh, we'll be back next week on The Freelancer Show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.